how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Laz McHugh is a London based Scottish musician, writer, and self described general lunatic. She has been running Brutal Recovery for over two years now, where she shares about the curious contradictions and lighter side of the life or death matter of recovery. She's been in recovery from eating disorders, PTSD, and depression for over 15 years, and has been sober since March 2018. Her content involves everything from alcohol and drugs to sex and love to putting your dad on your four-step. (laughs) <laughs> oh man like this is such a fantastic conversation like I I know I say that every time but like a it's true and b like I feel I mean we mentioned it in the in the show to the guest but I feel like this is like the reason that we started this podcast yeah some amazing conversations and I'm sort of struck with how much kind of a bigger sense of recovery she has um, just, I mean, I guess also she's been in recovery for such a long time with other things, but she really has like a lot of wise uh, sort of insights. And also as we discussed for a second right now, I've found so much similarity with her in the way that we sort of react around sex and love and sobriety. So yeah, I loved hearing from her. Yeah. And I don't know, it feels like, I mean, I think (laughs) being both in like long-term recovery at this point, we just, today was actually the day we realized that there's like a new generation of people getting sober and clean. That's like, they have a bigger idea of like what we're doing, what we're doing here. And that's so fucking rad. And it sounds like she's kind of a voice for that. That is a really spot on observation. Absolutely true. Yeah. And she does feel like a voice for that. And she has such a way with words. So it was a wonderful speaking to her. Indeed. So please stick around for the magical dulcet tones of Laws, a.k.a. Brutal Recovery, and check her out on the internet at Brutal Recovery on Instagram and also patreon.com slash Brutal Recovery, where you can learn breath work <laughs> in addition to memes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. <laughs> Lauren, Laws, which which do you prefer, Laws? Laws is good. Laws is good. Laws, welcome to the Perfect. show. Um, before we begin, we like to ask our guests their preferred pronouns. What are your pronouns? They are she/her. Same, same. Perfect. Same here. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, and where are you today? I think you said you're in London, right? Yeah, I am coming in from London today. So I've, I'm originally from Scotland, but um, I'm now currently residing in London. Spoiler alert. I don't know if that's a spoiler. That's not a spoiler. (laughs) Behind the scenes, focus. Lily just geolocated Lauren's birthplace on Google Maps. (laughs) Which is, I think... I had to know. It's the new new way we, like, warm up our guests is just to be like, so exactly where were you born? (laughs) Like, what street? What floor? What building? No. Um, (laughs) Like, send you your chart. (laughs) Exactly. 
Um, how are you today? I'm doing good today. Today I've, I've had like my first day off in about three weeks. So it's been this amazing just like coming back down to earth. I got my nails done. I went for Woo. a walk. I'm just like absolutely getting back into my body after being in like work mode for, yes. for so long. Restored. <sighs> But Louise is in that right now. <laughs> I am. I'm totally in. I'm just like, I don't know where my fucking head is. I'm just like, every time I, somebody's like, how are you? I just want to cry. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, but so, I mean, and I guess that kind of leads to the next question, which is like, how has the last year plus of Corona times been treating you? Because we know we discussed that you're a musician in addition to being like meme queen of the recovery internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> <You're tickled. laughs> and you know, the past uh, I've been doing, you know, I've been doing a lot of reflection recently and just the past year of my life, I, I, so I sometimes look at it and just think like, wow, that should have 100% broken me. <laughs> About, so a year ago, just over a year ago, I was living in America. I was in a relationship. I was working as an opera singer and a performer. Wow. Um, and now I live in London. I'm single. Um, and who even knows what my job is anymore? So it's just like I, the amount of change that my life has withstood in the past year um, it's only just catching up to me now that I was like oh I did that like I yeah. changed my relationship status I changed my continent and you know my my work life is just uh it, it's it's getting bigger and stranger and more exciting so it's it's been a, an enormous challenge I've been a little bit in survival mode um I've been and but I've been really lucky that uh the, the recovery scene here in London has really helped me really, really hard some days. And yeah. yeah, it's been, it's, it's, oh, it's been a whirl. Um, yeah, it's been good. Oh my God. That's yeah. probably like the most exciting answer we've gotten. <laughs> I know. Everyone's I like, know, we're grateful. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, fucking nuts. <laughs> and That's so... Fun. Loosely, kind of, what is it that you're doing right now? Like, if, if you had to, if you don't mind that. Um, yeah. yes. You can also stay anonymous if you need to. Yes. <laughs> um, so I have started performing again. I've been getting, you know, oh, it's, it's, I've been getting into the, uh, the London scene. Like, it's just, it's just, you know, because my career, I like burned my career to the ground in the UK, did a huge geographical to America. We'll probably get into it later. Um, and then, you know, worked in the American scene. So I've like come back to the continent, the country. And the continent. We're in the 1800s. <laughs> continent. It was in the colonies, now we're on the continent. <laughs> no, so, like, I just have come back and I'm like, hi, I'm sober now, like, hire me. Um, and it, but it, it, so that's been okay. I'm also, uh, I'm doing a lot more writing um, and trying to, you know, kind of angle. Uh, my career in that direction I've been doing work with you know breath work and uh, teaching singing in a way that's like more holistic and taking care of the whole body through the voice musicianship I teach the piano as well just kind of you know what we do as creatives we kind of just get a million fingers and a million different pies and and make it work so that's I what, love that yeah. absolutely that's absolutely. awesome especially because like I don't know I think it's funny that you mentioned the kind of breath work and stuff because I do think that like also being a vocalist that like really working on singing and the voice this last year has like been such a healing somatic experience 
you know, that like I never thought of it like that until I was like forced to kind of just sing alone in my house for like every day of the past 18 months. And like it's so, like nothing is feels as good, you know, and that's I feel like it's like the best secret in the world of like you can actually like change your whole emotional output and and outlook just with with the voice and with breath. It's incredible. 100 percent yeah I had a really really similar experience like being an active performer um there there was a lot of just like constant movement constant going constant going you know do this this rehearsal this sound check this blah 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 blah. um and like yourself being locked in my house for 18 months I was like how is my body when I'm not moving it every second of the day and to get that deeper connection with my breath it's like oh wow this is how my body feels okay yeah that's real especially because it's like I, I feel like it's hard to, I don't know, fake. Like mm. it's, it's, you know, I remember being like in, in early recovery being told a lot that like um, to act your way into right thinking, I guess, or yeah, to act your way into right thinking because you, you can't think your way into right action. And this idea that like by kind of using the breath through the body to really like have an emotional kind of outpouring like make contact mm. that like that 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 in itself will be the healing thing like you don't have to feel like it but if you do it mm-hmm. like it'll the, the benefits will kind of create themselves and I, like man because I think it's so easy for people in in addiction you know and in recovery of course to think that like I have to feel good for it to work and like that's not true yes! <laughs> exactly exactly can, can you hear me okay, by the way? Yeah, totally. I just saw your text, and I can see your your little sound waves, even if oh, you can. Oh, good. Okay, that's so strange. Okay. Anyways, um, well, so so you got sober about a year before we went into lockdown, I think. So do you think, has your internet presence, has brutal, brutal recovery kind of shifted since we've moved into a more virtually connected world? Yeah. Oh, so I remember that um, it's my sobriety date is the 6th of March, 2018. So I remember that like, you know, chips at the end of the month. So the end of the month in March, 2020 was, I was going to get my two year chip and I was so excited, but then, oh, the meetings are down for, you know, two weeks, three weeks tops. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll get it next month. And then this two weeks, three weeks top turned into Eighteen months, <laughs> yeah, basically. So I was like, "Oh, I didn't get my two-year chip at my whole group." But um, yeah, I think that you know the thing that I've always wanted to kind of portray with the page is like that funny like aspect of like contradiction. Like, there's the contradictions in recovery. What it's like to be, you know, have all this like messiness and and humor and strangeness, but also you know find deeper spiritual connection and like being like literally fucking insane. <laughs> and trying to do the right thing like I just think there's so many funny contradictions inside recovery and there's a contradiction itself in the lockdown for me which was like lockdown was my alcoholic fucking dream right like I get to stay oh, yeah. in my house by myself not talk to a single person and like potentially drink myself to death like that would be like my absolute dream but like I had this call inside me which was just like no like use this time like stay well connect you know I really I had to connect um and having you know the uh the page kind of has doubled in size over the past year so that that tells me first of all that I don't know maybe this like kind of shared tragedy and like the page is all about finding the humor and tragedy and then this kind of like shared tragedy is a world that we're experiencing kind of you know piled people 
more into it and I just yeah I really really got a little bit more vulnerable just kind of saying like hey this is a space to be a complete fucking mess because like we're all holding it together so hard right now we're in our literal alcoholic dream and we're not drinking or you know and it just I really really desperately wanted just for people you know be a place for people can be like listen if you feel insane I'm insane too it's okay let's try and not self-destruct today so I think like I found a more genuine way of doing that because it was like very much like what I was going through and it's always that thing that whenever I go and post something I always think oh this will be just be a me thing this will just be something that you know <laughs> this 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 will be a low-lying one that'll be for myself those are the ones that like people are like oh shit yeah too, too knows. <laughs> yeah it's so amazing too in the format of like Instagram where everything is so crafted to look a certain way and and particularly like I feel like people in recovery who look at others and compare and despair look at others and they go oh, they have it all going on and you know, to just be brutally honest about like <laughs> some of the stuff that's happening. And, and I think that's so important. And you know what I was thinking as you're sharing too, is like, you know, I was sharing that some of the groups I go to, um, I've noticed like a humongous influx of people mm. that have come in post COVID or not even post, we're still in it, but both in the zoom, uh, formats for my groups and the recent in-person formats for my groups, there's been a humongous influx of like a kind of a younger generation and certainly like, you know, interestingly, like a generation who speak through meme, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like, like a generation, not the old guard, but like the, the sort of the meme generation and the sort of like the more honest uh, in terms of like a less crafted, kind of like the next wave of mm. sort of younger generation. So I was thinking, I'm like, oh, that's interesting because probably like, a lot more people sort of can re can relate to that, if that makes any sense, because it's been a like a half the meeting has been a different population than before. And, and, <laughs> and when I first came in, I was like, who are all these people? You know, and then <laughs> I went, but babes. <laughs> and then I went, oh, my God, you know, like some of the, the groups that I go to, you hear people like going, yes, queen. And I'm like, what is going on? Because I'm so used to like. You know, just the old guard. And so it was kind of, it's kind of interesting, <laughs> but it's brought a whole new kind of flavor into some of the groups I've been in. And so I, I love that. And I love that you're just being honest about some of this stuff because some of like the nitty gritty, we don't share super <laughs> honestly about because we think we're supposed to have a different experience or it's not the way it's supposed to look when we're trying to get this thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's that's super, it's just so important for, for, for me and my recovery, like to, to be that honest. And, you know, there's some things that like I do keep to myself, like, you know, or to oh, the, like, sure. the, the safety of like a smaller, you know, I, I, you know, when the page was smaller, it was like fine, but now it's like the size that it is. I'm like, maybe this is not for a larger population, but you know, the, the things that like I do, the, you know, that I do get comfortable. Like I just, you know, I, I just love making people feel seen in that way mm. that, you know, it's, it, it cuts the shame down. It cuts yes. the, you know, I, I'm, I'm terminally unique to my core. So like, it's good for me to, to realize that like, no, you are, <laughs> you're not alone in this experience. It's actually just like opaque group therapy. But I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because I do think it provides such like a beautiful access point where like, I know when I came in, I felt like very much the kind of perfectionism, perfectionism kind of on overload, like, and it, mm. it's easy for recovery to kind of turn into another space to perform perfectly, you know, Absolutely. and like, 
and then wonder why like my mental illness isn't being treated <laughs> like oh what the fuck why am I still depressed is it because I don't love God enough like um, and so to have like a space I think is as an access point for kind of modern recovery especially post-pandemic like I've heard you know kind of COVID be, be described as like the alcoholic Olympics of like we all know how like fucking weird we get when we get sober with all of these mm-hmm. like bizarro neurosis and like finally like we had a space to really explore that to the full full extent mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know kill ourselves drinking like those kind of felt like the options so to have somebody to name that and like yes. invite you know like invite people into to to recovery in a way that feels more modern that like yeah like i mean again i'm kind of an and maybe less and less, but like kind of an AA fundamentalist when it comes to like unity, recovery and service and doing the steps and taking sponsees through the steps and training sponsees to train sponsees, all this shit. But like to have it be like funny and like memeable and like yes, self-deprecating and like <laughs> just looking at that, like grateful to be here, grateful to be so <laughs> I'm just like, that's it. Like, like it's so good to, to like kind of, shake out the old idea of what we needed to be in order to like be quote unquote in recovery. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we discussed it a little bit, but like at, outside of brutal recovery, your work, your work is as a musician. So like, how did you kind of navigate the loss of being able to perform and like, what does it feel like kind of getting back into it like it seems like you have your hands and I don't know if that's the term <laughs> pots <laughs> like hands and pots um <laughs> speak up in your idiom I'm here for it that'll yes. be our new <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, hands out of those pots but, um, <laughs> but yeah so how have you kind of navigated the like return to to life other than like oh, low-key workaholism yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know, I, I really had to, at first I was a little bit delusional. Like I was like, I'm going to be, I'm gonna, everything's going to be back to normal in six weeks. So I was like, I'm going to learn so much music and I'm going to, you know, do this and that, the next thing, like just kind of like uh, dissociating kind of from the reality by like overworking. And, and then I realized like, okay, like my industry is not going to look like how it looked maybe ever again. So like, I, I really had to grieve that. Um, uh, yeah, there, there was a big period of grief um, that I, I didn't, you know, I, it, it's, it's kind of like, I thought like, do I even want to do this anymore? Like I was, I felt so lost without like my craft, like my identifier mm-hmm. that I thought like, am I going to change professions? Like what's going on here? But what um, I've discovered is, so, so I, I had a contract a couple of, a couple of months ago and I was talking to the sponsor, my sponsor on the phone and I was just like, you know, I, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like, do I enjoy it? What if I don't enjoy it? Um, and she, she said to me, just so it's that beautiful moment where she just put it so simply. And she was like, why don't you just go and enjoy yourself? Like, why don't you, like, take out of the equation, like, what if my industry never looks like the same ever again? What if you take out the equation? What if I don't want to do this for the rest of my life? Like, what if you just go and sing and enjoy yourself? And it was really beautiful because, like, over the lockdown, like we were talking about earlier, like, I got in touch with my body more. I got in touch with my breath more. I started treating myself better than I never treated myself in my life, really, because I had, I had no choice. So, um. I was I was really in touch with myself um, and I just kind of went into it in a more genuine way. And as a result, I, I really enjoyed myself. So 
it's so that's a really really fun space to play in um and that's I, I you know the whole like not knowing uh, I try and think of that as like being a state of play so I was just kind of like okay I have no idea what my job looks like anymore um I'm, I'm just gonna play so I'm, I'm having a good experience with it so far ask me again in like a couple of months like <laughs> when, <laughs> but for now like you know this is that yeah it's it's been it's been really beautiful that's awesome that's, that's really great. good to hear I think a lot of people kind of in that in, I mean, I guess all industries have been infected, but like in industries that were entirely stopped, that like the potential of like not being able to do that thing, like in the same way ever again, or for a long time, like it suddenly is, it's like, I remember this, I think it's Raymond Carver, this quote of like, pray not for the thing, but to be worthy of the thing. And I keep thinking about that. Like, can I be worthy of getting to do this because it might not happen again, you know, like every single show and it's changed the experience like so profoundly that it's like having fun for the first time in my entire life doing my favorite thing. (laughs) Oh man. Oof. Wow. And so how, have you felt your creative work kind of shift in recovery at all? And how has that happened? Oh my god, a hundred percent. So I, I'm I'm like a student of the artist's way. Like I'm I'm a big fan of yeah, it. I, I did it like three times in active addiction, and it's like I never fucking did it then. Like I I, <laughs> could I read it. I read it in recovery for the first time, and I was like, "What's all this God stuff?" You know, it's like okay, because I, I I swear, like to the best of my ability, like in in active addiction, I did it, and I probably got stuff out of it. But like when I was like in recovery doing it, it was just this extraordinary experience. Um, And I really feel like in a more genuine way, I did get in touch with my creativity and I did get in touch with it. I thought that, you know, being in active addiction was kind of like the tax I had to pay to be like a creative. Like I just thought like, oh, this is just what I have to do to in order to, to be as vulnerable as being creative needs to be. So like finding the the genuine vulnerability and the actual creative uh streak inside me uh yeah has been terrifying like absolutely terrifying because like oh my god I'm not self-sabotaging anymore what if I do my best and it's not good enough but at the same time it's just been it's been so much more genuine and people have connected to me way more and I'm not a nightmare to work with anymore I was such a fucking nightmare to work with oh my god I think of some of the things I've done and I'm just like oh my god how do I ever get work ever again but yeah so it's nice making an amends in that way by not being a literal fucking nightmare (laughs) oh but we do love an artist's way plug that's like (laughs) yes we're big artist's way fans We love the artist way. Listeners, if you haven't gotten into the artist way yet, like, yo, what are you fucking waiting for? Oh, yeah. Also, this is a sign you're looking for. Great book. Uh, The, wait, The War of Art, Stephen Pressman, also a great book. Yes. Have you you read that one? No, I've not read that. That one's good. It's really good. It's, it's kind of, it's not dissimilar, but there's less like workbook stuff. Good. I read it every couple years as like a creative mm. motivator, just to sort of nice. yeah. So the war of I, yeah, the war of art, exactly. And yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you say that though, like the taxes, because it's like I I guess we got to fucking pay the piper one way or the other, right? <laughs> I'm from like the twenties today, but um, <laughs> this like 
idea of like, okay, either my self-destruction or my self-preservation has to kind of be the road that I walk or like the line that I tread in order to survive the level of sensitivity that like I was born with or that like the kind of being a, a creative person demands of me or just like, like, I, and they're so close, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like either I'm going to be doing the work, whether that looks like the steps or looks like the artist's way or looks like a combination of those perpetually for the rest of my fucking life, or I'm going to like kill myself slowly drinking and using like it, I don't really know if when it has this disease I don't really know any other way you know mm-hmm. I mean again like there are people who can who can totally like just fucking jam around their lives semi-comfortably or like act out in ways that won't kill them which is cool mm-hmm. too but like it does seem that like that this the disease of alcoholism or addiction kind of requires those taxes one way or the other. And I I think we, I I speak for all of us when like, I'd rather pay them towards creation, you know? Oh yeah. Love that. Yes. Pay them towards creation. I love that too. (sighs) So, um, now about sex. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> it was a, a really harsh pivot. <laughs> uh, can you tell us what some of the first messages you received around sex and sexuality were? Yeah. So I, uh, so I was born on a farm. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a rural junkie. So like I was, <laughs> like it was something deeply practical like the the cycle of life and death was around me at any given moment so like it was it was something just known for from a very very young age um and yeah I it it was even I I did grow up religious but it it was never you know designated as something like dirty or bad like I was never you know it's never like I don't even know how this happened but like it was never messaged to me that it was something wrong and bad but it was messaged to me that it was something like very unremarkable and you just don't talk about it okay Mm -hmm. like it's for babies it's for it's for making babies and making little lambs and cows that we sell for money so that was that was it um but I um so I had, I, I'm a survivor of uh, childhood sexual abuse. So I had the, uh, the idea there was kind of planted in my mind that it was something that was done to you. Mm-hmm. So like, oh. I didn't realize that it was, that enjoyment would never came into it. And I, I, it just always in my head was like, this is, it, it never seemed like anything that could be enjoyable, pleasurable, joyful, joyful. It was just, this is something that done that's done to me. And then when I kind of, you know, grew older, like my early teens, I realized that when I let people do to do it to me, like they liked me more mm-hmm. and I got attention and it kind of became like, uh, yeah, it was like this elaborate game. Um, and because I had this like very detached view of it, like, it wasn't special. It wasn't remarkable. It was kind of like, oh yeah, that's just that, that's just that thing I do, and the the boys buy me cans of beer when when they do it, and that was, yeah, like that was that was just that. Like it seemed unremarkable, and then I got sex education, and then I realized like that stuff that people were doing in the movies. I'm like, oh fuck, I do that. Oh oh wow, like maybe there's something going on here. Yeah, wow. and I mean, you said like it's it sounded like it was a, a currency kind of early on. And then kind of how did your alcoholism or like, how did, how did that start or play into it? 
Yeah, they kind of are interwoven just about about the same time. Like I, I had my first drink when I was about 13 um, and I started, I became a sexual active when I was about 13 as well. And, you know, alcohol was an excellent tool for just kind of like dealing with it. They, they, they definitely went hand in hand. Um, I feel like, you know, sex and alcohol were, were two ways that I could detach from myself. Like alongside this, like I was an extremely emotional child. Like I had ballistic emotions. I was, mm-hmm. you know, bouncing off the walls always. I was uncomfortable. I was crawling out of my skin. I was a self-harmer. I had eating disorders. Like just, you know, one of those. And uh, I was looking for any excuse to like abdicate my body and when I did it with sex I could be a character that people really really enjoyed and the way that I did that was by bringing alcohol into the equation Mm. Um, and unfortunately I liked alcohol a little bit too much lost the power of choice and here we are (laughs) but I relate to your experience so much I mean it's like you know I've I've uh, been a guest on the podcast before it was on like three weeks ago yeah (laughs) and six I mean so much of that like I relate to between this sort of transactional element of sex and knowing that Mm -hmm. that's how you get people um, to like you, love you. And yet at the, the, the other, as we're talking about contradictions, like you're saying, the other side of that is it's very short lived. Like yeah. eventually that catches up and that causes its own pain, but kind of like using it has the same sort of impact of like so in the so moment it makes everything feel okay. And then it all falls apart afterwards. But yeah. I so relate to that as like a transaction and, um, and also as being so performative, like because if I said on my, you know, my episode, like if I was going to be real about how I was really feeling about it, first of all, that felt so remote. But second of all, like if I were to be real, nobody's going to fall in love with that. Like, right. Like, yeah. it, I need to be this wild character who's fun and crazy and nothing affects. And I'm mm-hmm. sort of like the woman of your dreams, sort of like a really porny edge to things, you know, like 100%. that was, yeah. so I so relate to that. And so I'm it's really interesting to hear and you put it in like a different ways I hadn't really thought of before. So I, I appreciate it. So, so you, you talked right up to until you got sober, how did you wind up getting sober? Oh, I, uh, so I got sober in America. I a great was... place to get sober. <laughs> <laughs> I moved to America on a big geographical cause I thought, who can have problems in America? And <laughs> <You'd be shocked. laughs> that's not the case. Um, yeah, so I kind of crash landed uh, into a grad school. I got, I got into a grad school kind of uh, by chance, which sounds really, really weird, but like because it was music school, so like they were okay. looking for a very particular voice, and they heard my voice in the show, and they said, "Do you want to do a master's here?" And I was a rudderless alcoholic, so I was just like. Okay, <laughs> like I'm not doing anything else. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like crash landed there, and it was an amazing program. Uh, it was like a fully funded program, and I got lots of performance opportunities, and it got too much. Like it, it just I was so, uh, you know, I was I was on complete self sabotage modes, and I I was in a show, and the director kind of noticed that I was drunk I was not performing well I wasn't memorizing my music my voice sounded like shit and he kind of was like you you gotta sort it out okay mm-hmm. like you you gotta sort this shit so mm-hmm. I, I I tried to get sober before by myself and it just never fucking worked or you know I would just really want to kill myself <laughs> so I never stayed sober but I was like okay 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to get sober for this show. Like I need to get sober for this show. So I stayed, uh, I, I got sober for the tech week. Um, but I went into withdrawal like really, really heavily in the tech week. And I, I had to be, you know, I had to be hospitalized and it was, it was, a, it was a whole big mess. And it was, it was there that the, the school, I thought they were going to like kick me out. Like I thought they were going to say, wow, like we really, really bet on the wrong horse, but they, they offered me help. They said like, wow. you, you, we, we want you to be well, like we want you, we believe in you, you know, try and try and stop killing yourself, please. And, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, I was in Connecticut and, it, it was yeah it, I reflect on that a lot because it was it, so many people had tried to help me before like I everyone had been trying to like you know 12 step me like I'd been hospitalized multiple times and it, it never never it never stuck you know mm-hmm. I was living in this kind of like rolling rock bottom that I just kind of adjusted to like I met it I moved in and I was <laughs> like this is this is fine like you know I can take this much pain but like I had this tiny voice inside me um at that point that just said you know please take that help you don't have to be in pain anymore we don't want to be in pain anymore so I mm. uh, yeah so I was 25 and it was yeah, was, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that moment because if if I didn't have that tiny window, that tiny little moment, I I just don't think I'd still be here, to be honest. Like I was, yeah. I drank to die. Like I really, really did. Yeah, that little moment of grace. That's yeah, yeah that little little window. And I love to hear that they supported you in that too. That's amazing, you know. And yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, and yeah. so that's so yeah. such a like hopeful story of this idea of that you can like kind of be at your worst and instead of people being like you're fu- like you're fucked we kick you out they actually like we believe in you we yeah. love you we support your recovery like that yeah. means a lot yes for sure and so how did kind of getting into recovery I mean and this might have taken some time but how did it <laughs> affect your relationship with sex and sexuality Oh man, I think the hardest thing was realizing that, you know, as a, as a person in recovery, I have to sit with the uncomfortable truth that I am a lovable human that deserves dignity and respect and I don't have to be in pain all the time. And as someone who, you know, I was profoundly traumatized as a child and then actively sought out in this like dissociative sex mission to re-traumatize <laughs> myself like you know just kind of like anyone could do anything to me because it doesn't hurt because I'm choosing it like you know this is the mission yeah <laughs> that's the dissociative sex mission and I uh, yeah so that 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 was my that was my palette that was my sexual palette just like you can fuck me up I don't care I'm okay. choosing it so that means I'm not traumatized and I don't have to get sober so like getting sober and I was like oh fuck one I've got my feelings back mm-hmm. two I don't have to be in pain all the time three I get to enjoy my life so yeah. I realized that I I got to enjoy sex and like I got sober at 25 I had been sexually active for about 12 years of my life at that point I'd never once enjoyed sex like I mm. I think it, there'd been times that were fine and there'd been times that like you know I'd been with someone that I really really cared about but there was always a part of me that was not there mm. and I really had to sit down 
with myself, inside myself, <laughs> like with, um, you know, I, I had a partner at the time and we had to, I, I, this sounds so cringe, but like I had to lose my virginity again. Like I yeah. really, really had to like do it all over again. And it was the most vulnerable I'd ever been in my entire life. It was having to actually ask myself what I was okay with rather than just trying to see what someone else wanted me to be or just trying to see what I could get out of the other person or just trying to not be in my body for, you know, an hour. So I had to, yeah, just really ask myself and challenge my instincts to, you know, make it a performance. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, it, it was really, really challenging. And uh, I went through that, like, really uh, <laughs> cliche sort of, uh, I never, like, I'm, I'm, I'm bisexual and I never really, like, struggled with my sexuality. Like, that was something that was always kind of, like, just, you know, that, that, that just was. But it was kind of like, oh, my God, like, how do my sexual relationships look like with women now? How do my sexual relationships look like with men now? Like, it just, I, I had to just learn it all again. Like, I just had to, like, really ask myself, like, what do I want from sex? And is this yeah. something I can enjoy? And yes, it turns out you can. <laughs> like, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. How did you kind of find your way into this like modality of healing? Because I know that like you've been sober a long fucking time. Like, and I feel like it wasn't until around 10 years that I was able to start asking myself those questions because until then, yeah. even within recovery, I was like using, <laughs> using sex as a disassociation mission. <laughs> mission my favorite Um, and that's not to say that like there weren't kind of like loving and intimate moments but like for the most part like that was not that wasn't even like was not only on my agenda I just didn't know like that that was like an option (laughs) so how did you kind of even find out about this you know because I do think it also speaks to this idea that like that there is a new generation of I think especially like young queer like curious like kind of very holistic recovery that's happening that we're like watching kind of bloom, especially post COVID. And it sounds like, I think, especially with the memes, <laughs> actually like kind of a, a, I don't know. I don't want to say influencer cause that's not the right word, but like you're a voice for that. Right. Um, so how did you kind of like find that vein of healing? Because I know it, t- it takes some people a long fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I've, I, I was a seeker from like such a young age. Like I've always wanted to uh, learn everything, know everything. Like I've always, I was always so desperate to learn about, um, you know, sp- spiritual lives and modalities of healing. Um, but I would be too busy, you know, getting so drunk. I couldn't feel my face to like actually engage with them. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, being so invested in my my breath and being so invested in, like, you know, as a singer, my, my body is my instrument. So kind of the, the first thing you do when you're a singer is like you, you get this perfect attunement with your body to see how it all works. And I'd done that in my professional life so that I could, you know, have the best possible voice and performance. And I think I just, you know, realized that what if I did this for, my sex life like what if it didn't what if I could I, I have this from the first time I had sober sex like I remember the first time I felt 
like his fingers on me, like on my oh. arm. Like, and I remember being like, like his, his fingers are on me. <laughs> 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 it's, it's not always been like that. It's not always there. Yeah. Um, and I remember just being so curious about that feeling. And I just remember feeling like, you know, what if I, I breathed into that area of my body? What if I, um, you know, read this book on Kundalini or on chakras or on all of these like different uh, practices and uh, studies. And I just kind of became like a, oh, and also as well, like my, uh, I realized very early on that like my trauma recovery was not negotiable. Like my trauma recovery was like an absolute necessity for my life. Mm -hmm. Like I had severe reactions and big PTSD explosions and blah 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 so uh I you know I did a lot of dbt skills I did a lot of like work groups there I did uh workbooks um I love pussy a reclamation that's another another big vlog <laughs> which is literally what it says on the tin it's about just getting in touch with the uh intrinsic uh wisdom of your pussy which is fantastic love um, it. I love this yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just, I was really, really alcoholic about it. Like, I was just like, what is, what is literally everything I can do? Like, I've discovered this new thing. I can feel fingers on my arm when they touch me. How, how can I get the most out of this? Like, how can I? <laughs> You're like, I'm going in. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> sexual healing. Well, That's so awesome. It's cool. It's like a lot of what I hear, I really liked when you said a little bit ago about sort of like it being an instinct to kind of do a lot of the old behaviors we had. Like, it's not even like, like when you're performing or you're kind of dissociating, like it, to me, it, when I got into recovery, it didn't even feel like I was actively choosing to do that every time. It was just like my knee jerk reaction. It was just like mm. an instinct to do that. And as you were saying, it was, it's an instinct and you kind of found a way to sort of interrupt that space between acting you know, between going right into instinct and instead making a choice. And I think it's really beautiful that you've, like Louisa said, addressed that so early on in your, well, I don't want to say, it's not not early for a lot, but it's, you know, as far as we're concerned, we both post 10 years <laughs> were in, in these conversations. So <laughs> for me, it's early. Um, I'm really, uh, I really, I want to check out the Pussy Reclamations too. That's oh, so good. So, so yes. good. Lily, yes. book club. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. Book club. So, so you've spoken a little about being in recovery from eating disorders too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Jeremy? Yeah, I think in, in a way, uh, eating disorders were one of my kind of first addictions. Like it was, I got really, really high off the feeling of emptiness and mm -hmm. whether that emptiness was starving myself um I eventually uh got on the bulimia train like I, I went you know just that classic sort of flip from like adolescent anorexia to bulimia and yeah it, it was it was a huge high for me um because it was a way that I didn't have to feel in my body like it was a yeah. way that I didn't have to feel like myself mm. and I really hit it as like you know that this is my choice like that I'm, I'm okay. choosing this um which is like a kind of a direct parallel to like my unhealthy sex behaviors and my and my drinking like I'd be yeah. like yeah like this is destroying me but like I'm choosing it so mm -hmm. it's okay like I'm in control of this um and it's so my, my eating disorder recovery is I've probably been in in uh recovery from my eating disorders for the longest of all of my kind of 
umbrella of things that I'm yeah. recovering from. Um, and I, I, I take that very, very seriously because it's, it's not the thing that speaks to me first anymore, mm. but it's one of those, like, I, I'm a slippery bitch. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll take yeah. anything if it's going to change how I feel. So like, it's something that's, you know, very non-negotiable for me, like making sure I'm actually nourishing myself and telling myself like I deserve good things I deserve joy and that runs across my sex life as well like I deserve joy and I deserve you know things that make me feel good oh my god yes. I so feel that because I do think that for a lot of us like that the eating disorders come really because they're so accessible really early mm-hmm. and that like it's so much about power and you know they always especially when like the sex can be kind of about powerlessness and disassociation this is like disassociation and power (laughs) yes but um that's rad I mean I'm doing this workshop presently with former guest Jesse Neeland who does a lot of stuff around kind of body neutrality and she's presenting this work that's about like body image avatars so it's not so much the disordered behavior but it's like the disordered kind of modalities of how like where the quote-unquote issues come from and right now we're exploring this idea of like the self-objectifier which like I heard you guys both talk about and this idea of like kind of sexy and performative and like yeah if I, yeah like transactional like if I can if I can make you love me then I can be safe Mm-hmm. you know and it's like I think that that's so kind of wrapped up but I think for me I'm like more about like achievement is mine like if I can achieve oh, wow. and be the best then like I'm safe but like there's, it's really I think this is like the shadow one of like how how to kind of start to like peel back those old ideas because I think that they can be so pervasive even in in you know many yeah. years of recovery and be like wait no I'm actually like safe and worthy of love even if I'm not performing or even if I'm not like sexually desirable in that moment or that I am sexually desirable and I don't have to perform in order to be yeah. so. But man, that shit is so embedded. It's so embedded. <laughs> it's like a brain breaker when you're like, wait, so like I don't have to like appeal to the male gaze at every single moment of my life to be lovable. Are you crazy? <laughs> what do you do with all your spare time when you're not appealing yeah. to the male gaze to be lovable? <laughs> Great question. You do the other way. <laughs> 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 Um, so kind of back to like the, the awesome, I feel like we're doing like a, like an earthquake scan and like, you've like recovered from a lot of shit, you know, and this idea of like, you talked about, you know, childhood sexual trauma and kind of trauma in general, like feel free to be as explicit or as vague about that as you, you feel comfortable being, but like, you seem to be really like. I mean, not to be cliche, but like thriving, like living your best fucking life, you know, especially like, again, post pandemic, (laughs) Um, like how do you kind of cultivate, like, what does your cultivation of that, like, you know, light look like on a daily basis? Yeah, I, oh man, I think through, I, I've had a big, I think, I think something over the past year, like I've had this huge thawing out because like I've, I've, I've been single for a year. I'm, I'm not single for very long ever. So like, this is, this has been uh, such an incredible opportunity. And I think like, not only have I been thawing out from the relationship, you know, they, I kind of more acutely than ever have been realizing that, you know, the kind of traumatizing 
the, the compounding trauma, like, you know, put the kind of traumatizing experiences that we put, we get put in, mm. in active addiction. Um, and I kind of have identified this year that I use the tools of blistling and dissociation to kind of, you know, get over that and just say like, ah, oh, but it, it, if, if, you know, but it didn't happen to me, it happened to her, like, like mm. this little version of me yeah. that I put in a box. Um, so I really appreciate you saying like, you know, the kind of the light, because I, I'm in such a lighter place with it. I had kind of like a spiritual rock bottom in, in January, um, where I kind of, after the relationship ended, like all of that stuff from the past kind of crashed down on me because for right. my, for the large, larger part of my recovery, I'd been in a relationship, which was kind of like this yeah. swaddling cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was left to deal with it myself and I really really had to double down on you know my my trauma is my responsibility like I it's I'm not responsible for it happening to me there are things that happen to me that should not have happened to me um but how I'm reacting to it is is my responsibility so I'm you know I've taken a very uh patient and slow and loving forgiving (laughs) approach with myself I think self-forgiveness uh has has been a really big thing for me I, I like to practice like instant forgiveness like when I when I slip up or when I have a trauma response or when my anxious attachment is kicking off or whether when I'm being blah 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 like I'll do the next right thing to make it right and then I'll try to just instantly forgive myself and try not to do it again um mm. as far as like the um kind of like my daily like I I love a morning routine like I am an absolute slot for a morning routine like I it is like I've, I've got it down There's man like <laughs> yeah slot for a morning routine like wherever I am in the world if I'm in like a hotel if I'm in a caravan if I'm on my flat in London like I wake up I pray I do yoga I meditate I do my morning pages artist's way um <laughs> like <laughs> Are you describing my day? Oh my god! <laughs> Perfect. Let's travel together. It'll be great. Amazing. And like that, and and I I have to do that with consistency. Like that, it's consistency that's key for me. Um, and you know that shit doesn't necessarily heal my trauma. The work with my therapist and the work with the very just the virtue of time passing and mm-hmm. all of the. the you know the outside help that I get for that but that consistency underneath it helps you know keep my safety keep my health and it keeps my self-esteem because like I don't want to continue making the choices that re-traumatize me or remind me of like my my traumatizing experiences like that And, and that's what you know I have awareness now, like before uh, in active addiction and kind of in my January sex rampage, like I didn't really have the awareness, like what I was doing. Like I was, you know, kind of re-traumatizing myself and finding these archetypes and, you know, doing these harmful behaviors to myself. Um, But I have the awareness now. So that means that I have choices. So that means that I can, yeah, I just need to keep myself like on that well as possible path to kind of mitigate any future fuckery yeah that's beautiful yeah I mean especially I love that you talked about kind of like awareness and choices and like being Mm -hmm. 
responsible for like your recovery. It's just because I, I, I think that one of the beautiful things about kind of having a literal life or death illness um, is that we like, I think there, I was having a conversation with a friend today and it can be so easy for, for people who don't necessarily have this to kind of be like, I know I should, but then, and, 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 and like, I feel like the, the, the not only this like all or nothing like <laughs> relative like uh, you know like obsession for basically anything that makes me feel different <laughs> which can be very positive you know like is is a lifesaver but also like I feel like so like the the beauty of the kind of the, the language around 12 steps is very much around like like this is not an option like it's a suggestion and like in the same way that you know like we suggest you use a parachute when you jump out of the airplane <laughs> yeah <laughs> So it's like, if someone tells me to like do something, I'm like, let's fucking go, you know, but it also, <laughs> I, it means that I have limited patience for people who don't have that kind of like yeah. <laughs> militant, like, oh my God. like killer, <laughs> killer self-help <laughs> style. <laughs> I love that too. I, it stuck out to me when you said we're responsible for our trauma, not, not what happened to us, but how we deal with it now. Cause I feel like, you know, so much of that. I walked in feeling like so much stuff had happened to me, to my body, to me. Mm -hmm. And this idea that like we have agency now that we're responsible for our recovery, it, it sort of makes me feel like anything is possible, you know, and and gives hope. So I really love hearing you say that. Um, Cause yeah, it's so, it's so easy to just feel like, well, this all happened to me and there's nothing I can do. And, and you know, it's Mm -hmm. interesting and, you know, I'm 16 years sober and going still that much into recovery and having worked on trauma, I still have days where I feel like, damn, like this stuff still affects me, you know? And yet we have the responsibility because we have the tools now to deal with our stuff, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. and, and it's a choice. I, so I love that you're saying that. And so along those lines, like what wisdom might you offer to someone struggling with similar stuff around, you know, trauma or food or, I mean, I was more thinking about the trauma, like related to trauma, um, certainly like taking responsibility for your own recovery. Is there anything else you might offer? Yeah. I, I think I would just reiterate, like, I I guess this is kind of my credo, like, but like you deserve love, you deserve Mm. dignity, you deserve respect. That's not negotiable. Um, what I need to still drill into my head is that it takes time. Like yeah. it's not a pill. You, like the like if there was a pill that you could take and make it all okay, I would have found it. Like it's yeah. it's not there. Like, it's, I tried I tried a lot of them, um, but you know it, it takes time. And I think with that time, you gotta or, or I really had to allow myself to like fuck up. Like I really had to allow myself to have some negative emotions. Like negative emotions don't mean that you're not doing well. Negative emotions are a fact of life. It's like just tolerating them. That is, that's the work. Yeah. (laughs) It's just the new skills we're building. There you go. There you have it. And and no emotion lasts forever. Like not a single one. And yeah, I, and I guess like this, this is so like, Going, going into like my my woo side but like I genuinely believe that we're miracles like we're mm. honest to God's literal fucking miracles it's and that that is that is no joke 
like that what we're doing is so unbelievably brave and I I sometimes like hesitate to like say that to myself because I'm like oh no you're just getting egotistical like don't you know don't get too cocky don't pat yourself on the back but like sometimes it's nice just to realize like oh my god I should be dead in a ditch right now and here I am like trying to have emotional sobriety over joyful sex like past my trauma like that's amazing like that is so incredible and yeah I yeah that just pretty much sums it up like yeah that's that's great I love that you're saying like you know something you just said reminded me I don't know if you've heard that Rilke quote that's like no feeling is final Um, Mm -hmm. that sort of like keep going. I I just looked it up. It says, let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. And I feel like that's like so much of what you just said. I feel like that's, you know, this idea of continuing to push through that. And I loved hearing about it. I mean, and you know, I think that the miraculous thing is really like, it's on point. Like it does, it can sound woo woo, but like, yeah. Honestly, I think that we started this podcast to have these conversations that like remind us mm-hmm. that like it, the healing is indeed miraculous, you know, and that like we can survive some shit, but then we can also like move beyond that survival mode into like a joyful, hilarious, yeah. awkward, <laughs> uncomfortable, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> full and rich human experience, you know, like without drugs and alcohol. And like, yeah. and it's it, like the, the, the constellation of it is beautiful, you know, like it, this has been such a nourishing conversation. And like this morning, a fucking sponsee who I've never met in person before because she lives in, in Belgium sent me a brutal recovery meme. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> You know, just to be like, oh man, like that. And she didn't know that we were we were interviewing you today. So it's like the kind of like it it is in fact kind of miraculous, this like global constellation of like a desire to heal, you know, and evolve. It's really something else. Because we could all totally be dead. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Oof. So um, on to, to to last question before we go into the lightning round, which we, we we've not prepared you for. <laughs> bring it on <laughs> that sounds scary it's not scary um, we just we often discuss a sex ideal on this show or who we want to intentionally show up as in our sexual or romantic relationships so what does your sexual ideal look like at present mm, so when I when I first like did, did my first sex ideal my idea of relationships was so catastrophically fucked it was things <laughs> like like I will not have sex with married men I will like I will not try and move in with people on the first date like so, so um, good, good foundation <laughs> beliefs <laughs> you know baby steps baby steps um but yeah so at, at the moment uh the the main focus for me is kind of like uh equal partnership like I want to show up as an equal partner most of my most of my relationships have been characterized by dominance and dependence so I've either emotionally dominated someone or yeah. been like completely dependent on them so uh, I'm I sh- sh- try and show up to uh you know any potential date or like partnership or what I'm you know aspiring towards is just like being an equal partner um and another word that's really important to me is available like I'm I'm a really emotionally available woman like it's it's a problem and uh yeah so uh I'm you know trying to get that uh, an equilibrium in how emotionally available uh I, I am with 
people in a way that's not boundaryless. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's so awesome. I'm, I love that you touched on that because, like, I'm definitely realized that I'm struggling with that, like, outside, like, not in my relationship, like, in all of my friendships or work relationships. I'm like, I do not have the bandwidth right now for shit. <laughs> so, like, I better start saying no to, like, and that's not, you know, we never say no to an AA request or whatever, but, like, the reality of, like, oxygen mask on first kind of more Al-Anon behaviors mm-hmm. of, like, mm-hmm what does availability look like in reality today? I think is actually a really helpful question to kind of continue to ask ourselves throughout recovery, regardless of whether like the nature of the relationship is romantic. Right. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You hear that everyone, this won't air for eight weeks. Don't call me. (laughs) Except for you. You guys can both call me. I love you both. Laws, our new best friend. Yes. <laughs> Lil, you want to kick off the lightning round? Sure. Okay. I'm so, so nervous. Lightning round. <laughs> what is a scent that brings you comfort? Um, lavender. I love the smell of lavender. Ooh, yes. Um, what is your favorite song that makes you feel pumped up and empowered? Hot Stuff by Donna Summer. Yes. <laughs> Sick. Like, so good. <laughs> every morning every morning when I brush my teeth I listen to Hot Stuff by Donna Summer oh my god I love it I <laughs> love it your morning routine um, <laughs> oh yeah that is a funny morning routine <laughs> so awesome <laughs> that's the theme song um what turns you on take that however you want um I am I'm super variable like words like as mm. you can probably tell I never shut the fuck up so like like variable sparring uh maybe not sparring that sounds a little bit aggressive but yeah just like yeah very vocal and when people are vocal with me like that's oh that does it for me fantastic wow this makes you an excellent podcast guest (laughs) yes um what's the last great media so like book movie tv show that you consumed and loved Oh my goodness, I just, well, I didn't just finish it, but this is the one that instantly came into my mind is Animal by Lisa Tadeo. That book blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. It's beautifully written. It is savage. Like it is so, oh man, there's so, she can say so much with such few words and she just cuts to the core of being a woman. Like it's, I, I, I've been recommended it to every single person I've met. So now I'm so happy that I get to see it on a literal podcast, Animal by Lisa <laughs> Second one for a book club, Lily. <laughs> yes, perfect. Put it down. This and Pussy a Reclamation. Okay. Yes, Pussy Reclamation. Um, what is your favorite meal? My favorite meal is probably okay this is really weird but like I love doner kebabs but I'm a soft old woman now that can digest doner meat well so I enjoy a vegan doner kebab delicious oh la la um what do you love oh man I I love would it be so cliche if I said I love recovery because I really do no I think you're actually (laughs) the first person that said that (laughs) I love recovery I really um yeah, and I love everyone in recovery. I love everyone that's not found recovery yet. I love, um, yeah, I just, I love the indomitable spirit of, yeah, of, of recovery. Mm, that's super, super wonderful. Um, finally, where can we find you on the World Wide Web? 
Oh, so uh, you can find me on Instagram at Brutal Recovery. Uh, and I also have a Patreon, which is Patreon slash Brutal Recovery. Amazing. We love a Patreon. Yeah. So I talk. Uh, so obviously the Brutal Recovery is my meme page. Uh, I do where I do just memes and reflections and, and all of that stuff um and I have certain series on my stories I've got Friday fun times which is where people share their crazy stories from the madness um and I do a Monday question time which looks different every week depending on my mood uh, on the Patreon I get a little bit more personal a little bit more vulnerable um and I also do breath work on there as well so I've got a little tier that, that covers my my experience with breath work. That's fucking awesome. So everybody, go like, rate, subscribe. <laughs> I don't know if that's how Patreon <laughs> <trend> works. <laughs> um, to the Brutal Recovery Patreon page. That seems like a worthy investment. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful, like effervescent, funny, warm, present guest. It's been really a joy to talk to you. Oh, I've loved it so much. Thank you. Thank you.